This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass, and I'm joined by Deborah Plum. So maybe that wasn't per usual. Sorry, Deborah, uh, but it's a pleasure to have you back with us. Glad to be here. Hopefully, it will be more usual in the coming year. Oh my goodness. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the coming year. You mean like next week? Exactly. I guess it's closer <laughs> yeah. than I thought about as I said that. <laughs> So next week. <laughs> so, so next week, everything will be back to normal. It'll be fine. I keep I keep seeing messages about uh, New York City. People saying everybody I know has COVID. Also, I have COVID. <laughs> it's true. Everyone I know in New York does have COVID. So I'm as much as I love uh, New York. I'm not planning on visiting anytime soon. No, neither am I. So maybe so maybe next year will be that'll be the new normal for next year. <laughs> not visiting the city. Yeah, I think I'll wait a bit. I've been very lucky. I have had some family members have it and they're fine and uh, friends who have it. They're also, everyone seems to be faring well. Otherwise, I wouldn't necessarily say it so flippantly. But um, yeah, I think uh, I've encouraged them to come out this direction for now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can come out here and then you'll never see other people because everybody's isolated anyways and spread out all over the place. It's almost impossible to catch COVID unless you go out of your way to do it. That's what it feels like lately, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. Hopefully that's also not the new normal beginning next week. Yeah, <laughs> next year, right. Next year. <laughs> so I thought uh, we could all get together and uh, talk about next year, maybe some of our, I'll say, suggestions or, or ideas of what people might add to their resolution lists for anybody who's interested in doing resolutions or does resolutions or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I figured if we got three lawyers together, we would come up with at least five to 10 opinions easily. Definitely. Well, I think it's just good that we can all put our minds together and come up with something besides lose 20 pounds, get organized, mm. clean the garage. You know, I think just, you know, let's, let's avoid like a treadmill in, in, involved okay. in a resolution. And then it's, it's going to be unique right there. Right. Right. I agree. I think that's uh, uh, that's fair, a fair set of rules or premises that we need to uh, follow here. So ground rules are none of us can suggest anything that has anything to do with health or fitness. How about that? I like it. Fair. I'm definitely fine with that. I tend to avoid those types of resolutions, diets, fitness, <laughs> unnecessary. Until Why next week. <laughs> Until next week when everything is different. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, well, I'll go first. Um, and I was thinking, although this is going to be a little bit cliche, too, because this has to do with finance and lots of people have have finance resolutions. But, you know, setting that aside and everybody forgiving me, of course, because you're all generous people. Um, my my finance resolution is really about education 
for financial education. And I think if anybody listening does not know what an expense ratio is, then you should put on your list for 2022 to learn what an expense ratio is because it's really important for personal finance. It has to do with uh, investing your money. It is probably most prevalent of a thing to know when it comes to like employer retirement plan type things, you know, 401ks, IRAs uh, that you might be setting up. It's not really an employer plan, but uh, but it's based off of wages. And this is the number that a mutual fund will charge as the expenses for the fund. So if you put $1,000 in, it's a percentage of that $1,000 that they're going to charge you on an annual basis. Obviously, a very high expense ratio will mean that you are going to make less money because they are taking more of it out of your account every year. And a low expense ratio will mean uh, you keep more of your money. Low does not necessarily mean good, but uh, overall, it is a good thing. Uh, so for example, some very high expense ratios that I've seen are like one and a half percent, and I've even seen them as high as two percent in very egregious situations. Those would be terribly, terribly high expense ratios. You would want to stay very, very far away from those. Very low expense ratios, the kinds of expense ratios that you see on, uh, say, index funds or typical S&P 500 funds by the Fidelities and Schwabs and Vanguards of the world are something like 0.03 or 0.04%. So 0.03 of a percent. Uh, that's very low, uh, and those tend to be pretty good funds anyway, so it's a very low expense for a pretty good fund. So uh, people should get educated on that in 2022 if they don't know about it. I think that's a really good point, Brent, and also to kind of like piggyback off of that, knowing what any management fees are, if you've got a financial advisor or financial planner who's helping you, a wealth advisor, you know, looking at those numbers again and even looking at the averages and seeing whether or not it's within the average or, again, if there's some egregious numbers, you and I have seen some before where we're like, wow, are you serious? For the amount of money that they are managing, the the percentage ratios are, are absolutely insane sometimes. And so just taking a look at that is definitely a good idea. All right. Well, I guess I'll go next. All right. All right. We're ready. We're I'll ready. I'll do one. <laughs> All right. So one of mine would be uh, to look at your current estate planning documents. Hopefully you have some. If not, uh, that's a separate conversation we need to have. But look at your current estate planning documents, dust them off, get them out of the safe, and see what needs to be updated, if anything. A lot of our clients, we love to, you know, do our documents, and they're, they're wonderful documents, so they're good to go for years to come but we can't set it and forget it entirely. And so it's looking at your documents and seeing what has changed. Has any of your fiduciaries on your documents passed away? Has there been a birth of a child? Has there been a marriage? Has there been a divorce? Do we not like who all of our distributions are going to? Do we need to do, do, need to do different allocations? You know, we had a, a fight with a sibling, let's say, and we want to change the percentages. So it's really looking at your documents, making sure they are updated. If you have any beneficiary designations, this goes for that as well. So looking at your retirement accounts, 
making sure your beneficiary designations are updated. You've got secondary beneficiaries on there as well. So really just kind of doing a, just a tune-up to make sure all of your documents are updated, that everything is still going to work as you've always wanted them to. Yeah, and, and it's like life. Did life happen between when you did the document originally and 2022 next week? If the answer <laughs> is yes, it's possible something needs to change in the document. You know, I think it's funny how did life happen? What people consider a change, right? Maybe it's more obvious to think, okay, I had a kid, time to update. Um, marriage, divorce, they seem just generally that triggers some response to people. But there can be other things that happen. Like you said, maybe it is a change in who you want to gift to. Maybe it is somebody is in a situation where they moved, so they can't be the guardian of your kids. And those things are harder to keep tabs on when they're not directly in front of you. But I think it's a good reminder to everyone that, you know, the documents are sort of living and breathing as long as you are. So they should constantly be be reviewed to some extent. And I think it's a good reminder for, you know, next week to say, hey, did your uh, guardian move to another country? Probably someone someone should replace them, including a healthcare agent or any other fiduciary. So I think that's a that's a big one. Yeah, makes sense to me. Shameless plug. We had to throw that in there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I will add to that list, to your point, Deborah, that if uh, another life event, right, when you think of like the major ones, but something also to just also speak to your estate planning attorney about if we need to update your documents, if you've had a significant increase in net worth, that was one thing this year I feel like we uh, got caught off guard a few times by clients is that thinking that they were worth about probably $5 million, we find out they're worth about $20 million. That's a big conversation we need to have because we need to now do some tax planning um, on your side. So if you've got, uh, if you had a wonderful year investment wise, you've had a, uh, you know, lovely little gift from a family member, whatever it may be, take that into consideration as something to update your documents. I think that goes nicely with the idea that we were talking about in terms of another type of resolution in terms of planning. You know, um, Rachel and I both talked about 2026 being just around the corner in some ways when the sunset hits us in terms of exemption amounts. And I think in, there's something to be said for just checking exactly if you know your own net worth, you know, and it sounds like a sort of silly thing to say, but there are lots of people who we've all interacted with who maybe don't realize the value of their own assets, the way things have grown, the way their careers have shifted. And so there is more than they realize or less. All of the above could occur, but but I think to be aware of it and to know what type of planning you maybe should be thinking of. And that's exactly when you call a lawyer to say, you know, I did have this windfall or I did have this amount of money inherited or I didn't realize that this business that I got into was going to be so lucrative. And that's a good time to think, okay, you may not think of yourself as someone who needs to tax plan. You know, I think a lot of people hear that and think that's not for me. You know, I'm not one of the wealthy one percenters that needs to, to tax plan, but you may, you may need to sooner than you think, especially when we talk about the exemption amounts coming down. So I think that's something to, to segue into another New Year's resolution that we talked about in terms of planning for planning ahead. So, yeah, well, if you think about it, uh, 2026 is to 2022 what 2020 uh, sorry 2018 is to 2022 so you think back to 2018 that feels like yesterday it really does that's i mean that's, that's scary like, when you put it like that <laughs> was around the corner right i don't know what happened to the uh, 2019 and 2020 something about being locked in your house for long <laughs> periods of time that made time just sort of vanish in my brain but uh, that's the reality. So I think, I think you're both on point there. All right. 
My turn? Go for should, it. Should I go? Okay. You're up I again. Got, I have I have at least one other idea. So my other idea, this is another sort of educational thing, somewhat of a shameless plug, but the but I think it's important. And that is, I think if somebody is not aware of or is unclear about the difference between, say, a trust and an LLC, 2022 is your year. You should learn the difference between those, especially if you have one or both or you're planning on having one or both in the future. Um, and really, the, di the difference between them is generally pretty straightforward. If you think about a trust as you and an LLC as a company that you own. Uh, that's about as uh, simplified as you can think about it because a trust is really just a way to own property and then an LLC is is a is an investment vehicle or a or a company. But for example, if you had an LLC and you bought a rental property, so let's say you got really excited during the pandemic, you got on realtor.com and you just saw the perfect rental property, you bought it and you put it in an LLC, and then you decided to set up a trust and you transfer the LLC ownership into the trust, who owns the real estate? Well, the answer is the LLC owns the real estate because the LLC always owned the real estate. It is a separate company from you. You are the trust in this case. So the trust is swapped in for you. You sort of substitute yourself out for the trust. So if you're if you're going to draw like a family tree from top to bottom, you being at the very top, there's you, then the trust below you, then below that, the trust owns the LLC, and below that, the LLC owns the rental property. But keeping that clear in your mind can, believe it or not, save you from some heartache by running the trust or the LLC in a way that is not so favorable for, say, getting the liability protection that the LLC is supposed to be giving you. So get educated on that stuff in 2022. If you don't know about it, put it on the list. I like it. I see that all the time. Um, I feel like with a lot of our clients, when we're we're pooling assets together, we're creating, you know, family LLCs, family limited partnerships, it comes up a lot, you know, how we are managing all the assets and how the assets are owned. And it, you definitely kind of going to keep that that organizational chart in mind. And I think you know a lot of the confusion can come from the fact that these could be a disregard these could be disregarded entities, depending on how they're owned by the trust. But understanding the the basic underlying structure and how all your assets are owned, I think that is a very very good one to add to the list. Yeah, the way all those things are taxed would I guess that'd be like a tag on. <laughs> because it may be taxed in a way that's completely different from the way that it looks for just normal, regular day-to-day -day purposes or banking purposes, uh, because the tax world is, as I try to lovingly explain to clients, fantasy. And it has nothing to do with reality most of the time, and it's just a made-up fantasy land. And so you have to kind of understand the tax status of things inside this made-up fantasy land. I mean, it does matter, but it, you know, this made-up fantasy land that has nothing to really do with reality. So especially like with an LLC, because an LLC could be taxed in many different ways, depending on the way it's owned and tax elections it's made. So it could be viewed as as a corporation, could be a C corporation, could be an S corporation. It could be viewed as a partnership if there are multiple members and it hasn't made one of these corporate elections. It could be completely disregarded as if it doesn't exist at all for tax purposes, uh, all just based on this fantasy land that is 
the tax rules. So yeah, get that's maybe like uh, 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 resolution number two or like the add-on to that is understand the structure in like reality, that what is a trust, what is an LLC, and then understand how these things are actually taxed, which could be completely different from the way that you're thinking about the reality of, of the structure. I love the phrase fantasy land. So we, <laughs> we live like half in fantasy land, half in reality. That's, that's our world. <laughs> It's very true. And it's the best way I've ever come up with to explain to clients so that they would, because you could say, which is this what lawyers and like my tax professors would always say, for tax purposes, it's XYZ. Yes. For t- that is a meaningless phrase. Yeah. For a non-lawyer, non-CPA, etc. Like for tax purposes, it's like, what do you mean for tax purposes? What other purpose is there? What are, what are we even talking about here? Like that is that doesn't really help explain things in my experience. That's a good point. That's a good point. I like it. I'm gonna have to steal the fantasy land from you now. There you go. I like it. I like it. And once in a while you get a little chuckle out of somebody. So <laughs> you know if you can tell a tax joke and get a chuckle, that's a win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make I always chuckle at tax sorry. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> this explains a lot about you, Deborah. <laughs> Thank you. I choose to take yeah, that as a compliment. Yes, you, as you should. <laughs> I, I'm not a fiction reader, but I, I love tax. So I guess there's there's that dichotomy. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, so I'll give my next one, I guess, then. Uh, so, you know, Deborah, but you guys both alluded to it, right, which is 2026. 2026 is coming. It's impending. Um, when we talk about 2026, we're talking about the sunset to the federal estate and gift tax exemption levels. So next year in, I guess, next week, right? Next week, uh, individuals are going to have a 12.06 million dollar exemption amount. Meaning you can pass that. Let's just round it off to 12, please, to make it easier for me to say $12 million to uh, individuals and families without having to incur an estate or gift tax. But as we all know, that number is expected to sunset in 2020 as of January 1st, 2026. So technically, you only have to the end of 2025 to get something done. And um, Congress could change it up, right? This year, we uh, got almost a little heart attack when Congress decided they wanted to change the rules. Luckily, they did not change the rules on us when we thought they were going to, Um, but that could always still happen. And so you need to plan for 2026, plan for those exemption levels to go back down to the $5 million indexed for inflation amount. So we're thinking five and a half, six million dollars. So just start planning for it. If you want to start making some big gifts, there's no need to wait till 2020 till December 31st, 2025. Let's start having those conversations next year. As I said, I think that is definitely a good point and definitely on my list and and to revisit, as we said, learning and remembering exactly where you are in terms of asset levels and knowing what the value is. And and I think even again, even if you don't think you are right now someone who needs to tax plan, I think it's good to plan ahead for the possibility that you might one day be or that those lowered levels, as Rachel mentioned, might be relevant to you and your family. And I think people often underestimate, you know, how many things can change in five years or two years and and you never know sort of where you'll be. So it's always good to plan ahead. And, and some of this planning is also, as we talk about, it is to 
protect assets, right? It's not just about the tax planning from the perspective of what happens when you die, but it's to put assets in vehicles that are credit shelter concepts or or protecting them from creditors. So I think that's something to think about if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you have anyone that you're leaving it to that you want want to to help pass on wealth or just any any of your property too. And I think that's something to think about even if you don't have individuals. You know, we talk a lot about kids, we talk a lot about inheritance and sometimes people want to leave things to charities and planning ahead for that is always a great idea and it's helpful for the charities to know and plan and know that they will be receiving distrib- some kind of bequest or some kind of gift. You know, just like any other business which charities are, which will segue nicely into my other resolution, you know, charities are very appreciative of people who plan ahead and they know that they can count on those gifts. So it's not just for your sake. If you think about wanting to make sure that you know where your money is going to go, knowing that you can benefit from certain exemptions and deductions for charities, it's also helpful to the charities, which will segue into my other resolution, which is a little bit of a learn what you have and understand what you're doing when you're running a business. Charities are businesses. If you are a tax-exempt organization, you are expected to follow the rules of any other business when it comes to making sure that you do what your purpose is, that you are on, that your board members are behaving in the interests and the best interests of the entity or fiduciary capacity. And I think sometimes, and I know this as a nonprofit manager myself, especially in smaller nonprofits, when you start out, it's easy to set up, get that 501c3, have your corporate documents prepared, have your conflicts of interest policy prepared because a lawyer told you to, and have your bylaws written and never look at them again. And and especially when you're busy trying to raise money and run your programs and, and think to yourself, okay, this stuff, this is fine. Like it's legal. We're good. <laughs> um, and not revisit them. And just like an estate plan or any kind of documents that you prepare for yourself, those business documents have to be looked at every now and then and updated to reflect the relevant times, the structure who's on your board, what types of transactions you've engaged in. And a lot of times it takes an outsider, self, you know, selfless plug there, uh, to take a look at those documents and say, you know what, actually, this is something you should look at because it may be a conflict of interest or your bylaws really should be updated to address this issue that you're having. Or your treasurer needs to make sure that they have good records of your accounting because just like a business, a nonprofit has to keep their books and records very clean, in some ways even more so because you're dealing with dollars that are from the public and donated. So that's definitely something that I would like to tell other nonprofit owners to or runners or CEOs to make sure that they keep those books and records straight and revisit their documents and ask a lawyer if they need help. And for those looking for people to help them. I, I love working with nonprofits. So that's something I hope in the coming year for myself to do more of, because I think it's it's really an area that is often overlooked and and the legal rules of it can be complicated. So I that is what I wish for nonprofits in the coming year. Yeah, it's never a bad idea for a, a, a quote nonprofit or a for-profit entity to kind of shake off the, the governing documents, as we say, uh, see how, how they're actually structured and make any corrections that need to be made. One of the things that I see a lot with nonprofits is uh, minutes, so board meeting minutes that aren't kept up to date. So that's that's a pretty easy thing to just sort of go back and look and because you can track uh, every year that you've been in existence to make sure that you had at least your annual meeting where you elected the board. Um, and if you haven't been doing that, then maybe Talk to somebody who knows what they're doing about correcting the record uh, to get yourself up to date. So just little stuff, but it can make a big difference, particularly uh, if you're if you're subject to some sort of liability. It can make a big, big difference. All right. Well, those are uh, those are some pretty good 
resolutions, I'd say. Not bad for for three crotchety lawyers to come up with uh, some useful ideas off off the cuff here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Do either of you do resolutions? Is this a, a part of your normal annual practice? I do. And I'm very sad to say I don't remember what any of mine were last year. So <laughs> that goes to show you I do a phenomenal job at them each year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I, it's funny. I definitely do like weekly concepts of what I want. My goals are I'm, I'm the master of having lots of lists for different things. So I feel like I'm constantly making resolutions of the sort, but no, I don't do yearly resolutions. Although it's, I think it's a nice tradition. I think it's good that people do it. I know we promise no fitness one, so, you know, we can, we can leave those off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> health food. We're not allowed. Yeah. We're not allowed to mention any health and fitness things. I'm, I apologize to anybody that heard that, uh, <laughs> But I know you had an expectation that we were not going to be covering any health and fitness stuff. Yeah, I, I can't say that I necessarily do official resolutions annually. I always I always do try to sit down and map out some goals for the year. They don't tend to change that much year to year. That's the reality. Um, a lot of the things that I'm working on are not a you get this done in one year kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I try to at least have some mile markers and then maybe occasionally I'll dig those out during the year if if I remember or the calendar reminder that uh, I'll sometimes put on my calendar actually gets me to do it. Uh, and that I think it's helpful. It's helpful to think about what is it that you actually want to accomplish. And then in a it doesn't have to be overly formal, but in, in, a, in some way, document that like, OK, this is a thing that I actually want to accomplish. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of times after I do that, when I get to the end of the year or when I get to the next year and I usually just pull out the same list and I'm working off that list, um, I'll look back over the goals. And there's a bunch of stuff on there where I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. That was that was a dumb idea from the get. And I was never going to get that done. So, you know, I have a pretty uh, lenient view of my own frailty and setting goals for myself. I think that is a very uh, realistic outcome there for, for a lot of us. <laughs> healthy. It's a type of humility that's healthy. Yeah. I think that's why resolutions get such a bad rap as people get. They get frustrated and down on themselves for not achieving their goal when that's not really necessary. Like it may have been a bad goal, maybe a really, really stupid goal. <laughs> not like any of the ones we offered today. No, no, no. The ones we offered today are great. The other thing is, I think people also view stuff as like, it's either zero or a hundred, right? It's like, you you must be doing it a hundred percent all the time. Otherwise, it's not a real goal and it's not really accomplishable. That is not the way that almost anything that I do gets done because I'm just busy with a thousand things going on and I don't have time to devote always consistent time to getting things done. So I tend to get things done in chunks. Like I'll have, you know, one week where I get a bunch of stuff accomplished on something. Then I might have two weeks where nothing happens. Then I get back to it. And then over the course of the year, usually that adds up to something accomplished. But I think it's for me personally, not speaking for anybody else, of course, uh, for me personally, the only thing that matters is doing things. So whether that's, you know, whether you're at 10% or 50% or 80%, 
or 100%, doesn't really matter. Anything in there is more than zero. You're doing something because there is so much, especially this time of year, people just talk, 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 and they talk real big and they talk real big about the last year that they just had. And they want to tell you about how great it was and how amazing they were and how they learned 20 things. And here are 15 things and principles that I live by every day, which is complete BS. <laughs> um, total BS. Nobody, nobody lives by 15 things or even five things every day. That's just BS. Um, but it's all just talk. The only thing that matters is doing. And in, again, only speaking for myself, the doing part is lonely. That's why nobody talks about the doing part. It's lonely and it's sometimes boring and it's a grind. And But it also is the only thing that matters because it is what gets it done. I have to say, I wholeheartedly agree. And as you were talking, I kind of wonder if you're not a New Yorker and you didn't tell me. But <laughs> but I definitely agree. And I think the doing, you know, we say this to the veterans that come through the program at BCI all the time, you know, just showing up is a huge part for them, especially when they're talking about challenges of facing reintegration to society and obviously not the same as, well, the same as a lot of veterans, but not necessarily the average experience of a civilian. But the showing up, the doing, the just being there is is the most important part of the program. And we tell them that all the time. It's And it's something that, you know, when you talk about, I guess I don't do big New Year's resolutions, but I constantly have these little tasks. And I think doing and chipping away at those task lists are what keep me motivated and constantly focused. You know, one of the reasons that I brought up nonprofits in terms of what they need to take care of is entirely because that's something that I have to do in my own nonprofit and things that I think about every day. Okay, I want to do this for BCI and make sure that this happens. Okay, I have to update the bylaws to do that. And there's these little triggers that go off and say, okay, I'm doing these things. And that reminds me of bigger goals. So I definitely wholeheartedly agree that the doing part is really, it's also, as you said, the, the probably the most lonely and not exciting because you can't, Instagram about it and talk about how amazing it is and have the followers and the prettiness and the principles that got you there. It's just doing it. And I think that that part is often overlooked and this day and age underestimated as far as significance. Absolutely. I, I agree with both of you. I, I heard a phenomenal quote the other day and I hate that I, I don't know the author of it right now, but she talked about how success is Success really depends on what's going on in your life at that time. And so if you are setting all these goals for yourself and life is good, life is coming easy at you, then success can be, yeah, getting that awesome new promotion. Success can be learning all these financial literacy topics that we're talking about, Brent. Or it could be, you know, if life is hitting you hard with a lot of curveballs, Success can be getting up and making your bed that day. And so it's also chipping away at those little tasks, you know, getting one thing done off your task list that could be success for that day. And so for anyone who's looking over their resolutions, that's how I think they should determine whether or not they're successful, right? Is what's going on in your life? Are you chipping away at it? Then I feel like in my book, you're being successful. Yep. I think that's really good. And and for anybody listening for a little bit of context, that's coming from two women who are themselves extremely successful and very well credentialed and very good at what they do. So that's like the I what the message that I'm getting from that is yeah, cut yourself some slack. You know, showing up is, you know, give yourself the benefit of the little victories by just showing up. But just show up. And then after that, you know, who knows? You can't always control the outcome, but who knows? So you don't need to come up with a list of 15 principles that you live by 
every day and that have informed your life over the last 12 months, because that's probably not going to help you. Uh, um, I don't think we're going to get a lot of self-help people as guests on this uh, podcast after this episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we better Same. shot ourselves there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that market just tanked. <laughs> You're like, what? The cynical lawyers? No. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, thank you both very much. I appreciate it. It's been fun. It's been fun. Happy New Year next week. Yes. Happy New Year. Hey listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.